Okay, hi everybody. Hi. Hello, I am Caitlin. Okay, first things first, um, we're gonna have a little bit of like audience microphone participation. So if everyone can like come up to maybe the first couple of rows so we can get some answers from everybody, that would be great. Um, no one's gonna do it, obviously, but I would like you to. So if you would like to, then please do so. Yeah, Alex is on it. Um, so let me actually get on to my notes. So first things first, um, a lot of us read books. I like books, I've read a lot of books. Does anybody have just any favorite book they wanna share? Alex, what is it? That sounds cool, Talia? Reflection, Lily? Pride, that's a good one. Jacelyn? Little Women, that's a good one. Lindsay? Emily? Have you read Lord of the Rings? Dang, good job. Okay, um, one of my favorites was always uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. I actually read that three times. The first time I read it was in, when I was in, I think I was in sixth grade. It went, that's a good one. Um, but I read To Kill a Mockingbird three times on accident. The first time it went right over my head. I did not understand a word I was reading. I was apparently not old enough to get it or wasn't reading carefully enough. The second time was when I was in eighth grade because it was for school. Then I switched schools and read it again for school in ninth grade. So that was, I didn't even need to read it that time. But again, part of the reason that I didn't get it when I was in sixth grade, like I said, I was probably maybe a little bit too little to read that, I don't know. But I didn't understand the connections that were being made between things and like, I guess like the symbolism and just everything that was going on, I didn't quite grasp it. Um, but after I did, I, I really loved it. I really loved the book. I got the point, I got what it was saying. And it's funny because I kind of always wanted to be an English teacher, which I guess since I'm gonna be a homeschool mom, I kind of get to in a way. And I kind of, I, I especially really fit into, have you guys ever seen that old Tumblr text post that's like, the English teacher asking you why the curtains are blue, and they're like, oh, it's because it represents the deep sadness and depression of, of the character, and everyone in the classroom was like, no, the curtains are just freaking blue. I'm a curtains are blue for a reason person. I, I always see that in books and movies and stuff like that. And my favorite example is actually, we just, Sean and I just started watching the Hobbit movies again. Um, obviously, the books, the only, okay, the books are always better except one. The Princess Bride movie was better than the book, but still read the book. Still read the book, it's still good. Okay, but we're watching The Hobbit, and they don't tell you this in The Hobbit, okay? They don't tell you, but the, the One Ring has like, a, it has like a will of its own, basically. It kind of has almost like a soul to it, where it does what it wants to do, it has something it wants to accomplish, but it doesn't tell you that, right? It doesn't like have big text on the screen that says, this ring has things it wants to do. It shows you. Right, it shows you, it has like, there's like that theme that plays whenever like the ring is on screen or the ring's doing something and it's like really haunting and beautiful. And one of the things that I point out the most is you'll see like if somebody drops the ring or is looking at it or something like that, you'll get like this like POV shot from the ring like looking up at whatever character. And so it kind of hints at you like something's going on, like this ring has, is like almost like a person, they treat it like a character. And so if you don't get that, if you, if you just kind of skipped over that, like, oh, okay, that's weird, you, you would miss that like key part of the story. And that's a lot of kind of what happens in, in the Bible as well. We're gonna, I gotta always gotta circle it back around, circle back, it's about the Bible. And so if you miss 
the things that are going on in the Bible, if you miss the context, if you miss what they're hinting at, what they're referencing, you're going to miss the story of the Bible. And uh, one of the best ways I've ever heard the story of the Bible summarized was by the Bible Project, which is one of like my favorite things to exist ever. Um, and their mission statement is to help people see the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And that's what the Bible is. Everyone will say, oh, well, the Bible is just a collection of stories. It's a collection of books. And like, that's true in a sense. But they, they're together for a reason. They put them all in the same collection for a reason because they all work together to point to Jesus as the saving king of the whole world. And so if you miss that, if you miss that, you miss the whole point of the story, right? It's like, it's like hearing the story of Little Red Riding Hood and being like, oh, okay, well, I guess that wolf was bad, but I'm just going to go talk to strangers and have them come over to my house. You know what I mean? You, you missed the point. And so if you miss the point of Jesus being the saving king of the whole world, then there's, like, there's really no point in reading the Bible. And if you don't understand that Jesus is the saving king of the whole world, you really don't get Christianity. And like Paul, Paul says it, I think in, it might be Romans, I'm probably wrong though. But he says like if Christ was not crucified, it's like if you don't get this, if you don't get that Jesus died for you and rose back from the dead, your faith is pointless. So if we don't grasp this, and we're going to keep grasping this forever and ever and ever, if you don't grasp that, all of this is pointless. So you probably want to understand that, right? It's okay. So I would ask everyone, get a Bible out. I would prefer you to have a physical Bible because they're nice. Me and Brittany have matching Bibles. Um, but get it out if you have a physical one. If not, get it out on your phone. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. And while you all do that, I'm just going to pray really fast. Father God, I thank you for this wonderful meeting of saints and that we, you would gather us here to be encouraged and empowered. And I ask that uh, as I speak that you would be speaking for me, speaking through me. Let every ear be open and every heart soften to what you have to say. And let us not only learn and grow, but give you glory through all of it as well, that it would speak of your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's read the Bible. I'm kind of setting this up. It's kind of like, um, I, used to, I used to really like to watch Get Ready With Me videos. This is going to be like, do my daily devotional with me. So we're going to start in John chapter 3. The little heading in my Bible says, John the Baptist prepares the way. Um, so we're just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about what we read. So it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Who wants to see what maybe we just read about? I know that was not a lot. But if someone had to ask you, what did you just read? What did you just read? You did read words. What does it mean? Okay, we got to work on this. Okay, so let's narrow it down to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If, you're, if you brought a friend to church today or something and they were sat next to you and like, what the heck does repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand mean? What does it mean? Okay, well, it's a good thing I wrote it down. Um, repent, the definition is to change one's mind or purpose, like to change why you're doing something. And so they use it in a sentence like, I repent, I change my mind, I change my inner self. And especially in the Bible, it's talking about you're changing it to be in line with the will of God. Um, a lot of people 
talk about repentance as like, oh, I was going this way away from God, but then I turned and I walked back to God. And that's kind of right, but that's a lot more behavior-based. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Like, you can wait for marriage, and you can, you know, read your Bible every day, and you can go to church every week and serve for the wrong reasons. You can do those things in a sinful way. But if you change your heart about the issues, if you change the way you think about them and turn your thinking rather than your behaviors, the behaviors will follow. Does that make sense? Um, so, if, again, if we don't get this, if we don't get repentance because the kingdom of God is coming, we're, we're going to miss Jesus because this is part of what's in the Bible. So this is the first aspect we kind of learn is to repent um, later in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus uses the same sentence, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We have, okay, here's a, here's a question. Why do we have to repent? Why do we have to repent? Why do we have to change our mind about things? Jason? Because we sin. What is sin? What's sin? What's sin? Lindsay? Disobeying God. I, yeah, I think that's pretty good. The, I think it's either the Greek or Hebrew word. One of the, I think it's the Greek one that they use for sin. It means kind of like to miss the mark. Like you were supposed to hit up here, but you are kind of off over here. So like disobeying. You were supposed to do this thing, and you didn't. You got it wrong. So because we sin, because we do the wrong thing, we need to change our minds and line it up with what God, with what God wants to be doing, have us doing and what God wants to do. Um, and then if we scroll, like kind of go down, um, it talks about Jesus had been in the wilderness for a while. Um, verse seven, he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees to sum it up. Those were religious rulers and they had a reputation for kind of what I just talked about doing the right things for the wrong reasons and just sticking to the book. Cause that's what you're supposed to do and not out of love for God. So they come up. And they, coming to his baptism, they wanted to get baptized because that's kind of what everyone was doing at the time. Everyone was getting baptized by John. And he says, you brood of vipers, he's calling them snakes, um, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in order to keep with repentance. Um, so when someone says bear fruit in a Christian way, what does that mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? Tough crowd. Sean just talked about it, Sophie. Yeah, show how you're following God, kind of like the natural results. Like if you give a tree, you know, everything that it needs, it grows up, it grows tall, there's little flowers on it, and then fruit comes out of that. It's showing, that's like the physical representation of what you did for that tree. The same thing happens when we're Christians is when we're put in the right environment of being around God where we're getting all the things that we need, there's going to be things that show on the outside that represent that you've been around God. That's kind of that's also the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So those are the fruits so you bear those fruits, you show these things in your life in order that you stay in repentance. If you have to stay in repentance, that means you're going to have to do it again and again and again. It's not a one-time deal. So we only got eight verses in, and there's already a lot. God packs stuff into scripture, and you could miss it if you skim right over it. 
So this is why we have to think about, like I said, why the curtains are blue. Why are they saying these things? What do they mean? Because if we just read through this real fast, we're going to miss it. And we're going to miss the point of a lot of scripture. And then what's the, even? Then you just wasted two hours reading your Bible if you didn't get anything. Um, so as we continue to read, uh, it says, you know, bear fruit, keeping repentance. Don't assume that just because Abraham, your descendants of Abraham, he's basically saying that doesn't mean anything. God can raise up stones to become ch children of Abraham. This is kind of foreshadowing to when everybody gets to be part of the kingdom of God, not just Israelites. Um, and it skips down. He says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable. So the part I want to focus on is I baptize with water. Someone is coming after me who will baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. This is going to be kind of Sunday school. Who's going to come after John? Jesus. Jesus comes after John. Um, so he's talking about how many different baptisms here. Because it says I baptize and you baptize. One plus one equals two. Okay, I'm going to start calling on people. This is going to turn into school. I'm going to start calling on people. Um, so this mentions two, and um, there's actually three baptisms. Um, and so I'm just going to skim through them real quick. So when you are saved, like if you go through scripture, you can find when you are saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus. We call that being in the body of Christ. Um, that's in 1 Corinthians. In one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Um, and then you're baptized by a disciple, so like John the Baptist or your pastor or your dad. They baptize you into water. Why do we baptize into water the way that we do here? Like when you get all the way dunked down and brought back up, why do we do it like that? It, yes, it does that. There's also another thing that is that's really good. It washes our sins away, like clean cleaning water. Why else do we go? Because Catholics sprinkle, Catholic people a lot of times sprinkle for baptism. So that could kind of be the same thing. Why do we go all the way down, Gianna? Exactly. We are being buried under the ground like Jesus was buried in the tomb and brought back up to new life in Christ. So that we are showing, it talks about in the Bible, like we need to die with Christ and be raised up again with him. Because if you don't if you don't die with him, you don't get that new life. Um, and then the third baptism is the one um, that John talks about of baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, so, it's, so you'll hear this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so, Jesus, so this is when you ask Jesus. Okay, the word baptize. Does anyone actually know what the word baptize means before I... It's a, that's kind of a hard one. Um, think of it like a washcloth, like if you have like a washcloth or a rag, and you soak it in the water, and so then it's like full of water. That's kind of what the word baptize implies, is being like soaked or like covered in something, like filled with it. And so Jesus will baptize us into the Holy Spirit, where we are like full and soaked with the Holy Spirit, and then we will have like his power. 
Um, so again, we got that out of looking at a couple of verses, seeing, oh, it talks about this somewhere else in the Bible. It talks about this in Matthew. It talks about this in Corinthians. But if you just read it, you could just be like, okay, cool. Someone's coming after John. And so then you miss something, right? Um, if we keep on, I feel like I'm really losing everybody. Does everyone feel really disengaged? Like, kind of meh? I get that's okay. Um, it's okay if you feel like that. I'm, I know I'm, I'm teaching a lot, but I need you guys to get this because it's all coming together. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm kind of trying to show you how to read your Bibles, if that makes sense. Like how to not just read the words and move on, but to think about what you're reading and how, how to do that in a deeper way and be able to. And so, um, I don't know, I'm just going to keep going on. So if we look at when Jesus gets baptized, um, Jesus came to the Jordan River to see John, who's actually his cousin, by the way, uh, to be baptized by him. And John, John understands who Jesus is. He understands he's a big deal. So when Jesus says, hey, I want you to baptize me, John says, no way. Like, you are so much greater than I. I should be baptized by you. But Jesus says, let it be done now to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying, like, God has set this up to happen. We need to get this done. So John says, okay. And here's, here's the big important part. Um, at verse 16, if you'll read it with me, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What kind of like Christian idea are we talking about there? We had a couple characters doing some things. Any thoughts? I know some of you got raised Christian. Okay. Um, this is, so we see who, who are our characters? Who gets baptized? Jesus gets baptized. Who comes down like a dove? God, the Holy Spirit. Yes, specifically the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And then who talks from heaven? God the Father. So... God gets baptized, God comes down, and God talks to God. Do we worship three gods? No. Okay, how many gods do we worship? One. This, yes, this is called the Trinity. It's three in one. Um, a lot of people try to use, like, examples of, like, oh, it's kind of like how ice, water, and water vapor are all water, but in different forms, or... Or I am this and this and this at the same time. If you, <laughs> anytime anyone tries to do that, you kind of end up going down the like heresy slide because all those imply a lot of things. The point is it's a mystery. We don't understand. And that's okay. <laughs> we believe in a God that created the entire universe and out of just his words, out of just speaking. I think we can also believe that our God is three people but also one being. So that's, again, you get that. You could have just skipped over that. But you can see without even someone telling you that God is three people at the same time. Um, and even says in Galatians, because it kind of would imply three different people, right? But if you look in Galatians 3, it says an intermediary, so someone to talk on your behalf, implies that there's more than one, but God is one. So that verse that we just read might have made you think, oh, there's three gods. There's Jesus, 
the Spirit of God and God the Father. But they are one, as you can see when you skip somewhere else. Right after, so this is this big moment. Jesus gets baptized. He kind of begins his ministry. It's a big moment. God's like, this is my son. I love him. I sent him to you. And so then after that, Jesus goes and fasts for 40 days. He eats nothing. He's in the desert wandering for 40 days and 40 nights. I have done, I think the longest fast I ever did was 21 days, and that was freaking hard. Some people, I know people that have done 40-day fasts. But Jesus, so, and so you, when you fast, <laughs> you get out of that, like, exhausted. You're like, oh, but it's good. Okay, I'll, I'm, I'm not preaching about fasting right now. So Jesus fasts for 40 days, and right after that, gets tempted by the devil. Okay, a lot of people would say that this was, he kind of fasted on purpose to prepare for this test. Some people think of it the other way. It both kind of works. But he says, so the devil says to him, okay, and keep in mind, this is going to happen to you. This happens to all of us almost on a daily, probably. The devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, if you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus was probably really hungry right now. Bread probably sounded really good. So, he, so the idea he's, he's saying is make these stones become bread. And Jesus responds with scripture. Okay, that's important. He responds with the word of God. He knew the word of God. He'd been studying it his whole life ever since he was a little boy to the point where his parents lost him for a few days because he was hanging out in what we would call church. And his parents left him behind because he needed so badly to be in the kingdom, in his father's house. And so Jesus responds, quoting scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That verse, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does that say about who God is? What does he do for us? What is his character? He provides Yes, that's right. That's also in that, I'm sure you guys have all heard the song, Jaira. That's what that word Jaira means, God is provider. Um, so that idea is God provides. So the devil said, hey, God's not feeding you. Make these rocks turn into bread so you can eat. And, God said, and Jesus says, no, God provides. The second temptation is, if you are the son of God, because he brings him up on top of the temple. He says, if you're the son of God, jump down, throw yourself down, because the Bible says... The Bible says they will bear you up on their hands so that your foot won't even hit a stone. Do you know that the devil knows the Bible? Does he know the Bible better than you do? Because I don't want him to know the Bible better than I do. Yeah, that's what he just did right there. He just quoted scripture. That's what I'm saying. Alex gets it. Don't let him know the Bible better than you do, okay? Jesus knew the Bible better than the devil did because Jesus said it is also written do not put your Lord God to the test. And so what he's saying there, the idea behind that is that God is faithful. He's going to stick with you no matter what. He's got a plan for you. He's always good. Because the devil is trying to say, God, if, if God's, not, God's not really going to take care of you, you need to make sure he's going to take care of you. You need to test him out. But Jesus just trusted. And then the third temptation, he says to him, he takes him up on a high mountain, and he looks kind of like this, Lion King moment looking out over the whole kingdom, and he says, all of this I'll give to you if you just worship me. But Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And that's kind of the third point Jesus makes is that God is the Lord of all, that we need to obey him, that we need to serve him 
alone. So we're going to be tempted. Who's been tempted before? Today, I got tempted. We all got tempted today, I'm sure, with something. There's always something that's going on. So who, who tempts? Satan, that's right. I'm actually kind of skipping a verse here. Sorry, Jaden. Um, James 1.13.14 says, When you're tempted, nobody should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desires. What does that say about people? Are people inherently good? Are we born good? We're born evil. We want bad things. Who's wanted to do something bad before? Everybody, okay? Uh, when I was little, I was a kleptomaniac. I wanted to just take stuff. Like, I just wanted to take it. And I don't even know why. It wasn't usually even stuff that I wanted. It was like hair ties and like stupid. I just wanted to take it. No one taught me that. No one sat down and was like, Caitlin, you don't have enough. You need to steal stuff. But it, we're, we're born wanting to do things that God doesn't want us to do. Um, however, I've heard people say before, well, you, God can't really blame us. If we're born evil, we're going to sin. And you know what? If I don't sin, Jesus died for nothing. So I need to go sin and have fun so that Jesus can forgive me. That is one way to look at it. It's a really wrong way to look at it. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians, there's always a way out. There's all, God will always provide you a way of escape. And he says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. So if you're being tempted, you don't get to play the victim, okay? We want to. We want to play the victim. I do this all the time. I, like, I'll tell, Sean knows better than anybody. I will tell him about my problems, and he'll be like, well, here's like a good solution. Here's what you could do to like fix that relationship, make it better. And I'm just like, no, you just don't get it. Everybody hates me. They're all against me. They're, nobody's inviting me to things. I'm just, no. And we don't get to do that when we're tempted, okay? Because God is, will give you a way out. 99% of the time, for me at least, that way out is just talking with him and just understanding that I don't, need to do the thing I feel tempted to do. So again, we learned this by looking at other scriptures, by thinking about how the Bible is one big story that points to Jesus, and by like thinking about what we read, by looking at other scriptures, looking at the big context, not cherry-picking a scripture, because if you cherry-pick a scripture, sometimes it's going to not make any sense at all based on what's around it, because I can, like, I, I'm sure you've all heard the joke, but I can prove with the Bible that Jesus drove a Honda. Does anyone know how that joke goes? Yes, he doesn't like to speak on his, of his own accord. Yeah, I can also prove that Moses played tennis. Does anyone know that one? He, he, he it says something about he served in the courts of the Lord. So it's like if you, that those, they're stupid church dad jokes, but shows that if you just pluck it out and just say, look at this, the Bible says that slavery is good, the Bible says that abortion is okay, the Bible says that it's okay for me to do whatever I want because Jesus loves me, you can prove that with the Bible by taking one verse out, but you can't prove that with the Bible as a whole, when you look at the whole story. Um, so, Jesus... Okay, in a way, he was repenting. Don't, don't sound bite me on that because that's not, 
theologically correct necessarily, but in, in a way, he was repenting. What does repent mean? Do we remember? Yes, to change your mind. Okay, so we're changing. He changed. He didn't change his mind, but he switched around the thought patterns that were going around him, going on around him, right? So he immediately gets tempted, and in a way, we can say he repented. He changed the thoughts, this, the idea that was going on around him. Um, he corrected the wrong thinking that was presented to him. So we, we, I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, you can't fight fire with fire. Yes, everybody gets burned if you fight fire with fire. So if you can't fight something with the same thing, you can't fight fire with fire, you can't fight hate with hate, what do you fight lies with? With truth. There has to be truth. Truth has to exist or else you can't depend on anything. To say that there is no truth is a truth claim. So if you say, oh, well, nothing's fully true. I live my own truth. There's lots of truths. How do we know that's true? You know what I'm saying? So you have to know the truth, and specifically God's truth, his word, what he says, who he is, his promises, to fight the lies that the devil puts on you. Um, you have to read. You have to use your resources. We live in the digital age. I don't have my phone with me, so I'm going to iPad. But, like, you have the whole Internet on your phone, in your pocket with you all the time. You have infinite knowledge. You have access to bad knowledge, but also to good knowledge. And so we don't really have an excuse for not reading our Bibles. We don't have an excuse for not knowing what we're reading. We don't have an excuse for not understanding these things in the same way that people in the past might have had an excuse. Like, there's not really an excuse. We have God. God's an artist. I'm circling this back around to my weird title of Why Are the Curtains Blue? God, God wrote a beautiful, symbolic, long story through all of history, through real life and through the writing of it in the Bible, to show us his love, to show us his story, and he wants to explore it with you. It's like if somebody painted you a giant mural, and there's all these little details hidden in it, and he wants to watch you look at it and find that flower that, oh my, that's my favorite flower. How did you know you hid that in that corner? And oh, over here, there's a beautiful sunset. I didn't even see that sunset way back in that painting. He wants to explore the Bible like that with you. And he wants you to find out why the curtains are blue. And he wants you to find out why certain people are kind of an image of Jesus in this story. And he wants you to find out why he did things that way and why he wrote it that way. Because you will know him better through it and we will be able to lift him up higher and give him more glory and more praise through all of it. So here's what this all is. Like I said, I want you to, I want you to think when you read your Bible. And I know that sounds condescending, but I read my Bible for like probably from the age of like 8 to 15 without thinking of it. I didn't think about it. I just know I was supposed to read my Bible. I'm a good Christian kid. I go to church and I read my Bible. I read it almost every day, went right over my head, just like that first time I read to Kill a Mockingbird. But when I thought about it, when I read it and I treated it like the same way I would treat a book in my English class or a book that I was reading for fun or a movie that I could not wait to come out, when I treated it like that and not like a textbook, it came alive and it changed my life. And that's, that's when I got saved, is when I understood God's love letter to me. 
So that's what this is. I want you to learn how to think about reading your Bible. I think I, I put some questions on there on that handout of like, think about things like, what does this verse say about, what does this story say about God? What does it say about how people work? What does it say about how life is? What does this say about Jesus? Just, just kind of think about what you can figure out on it. Look up um, commentaries. I, I, on the resource part of that handout, I put uh, biblehub.com. I use that. If I read a scripture and I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. Like I was reading through, it would probably have to have been in Exodus the other day. And it talked about, how, oh, I feel like I went quiet for a second. It talked about how mm, some, like Moses's wife had to like emergency circumcise their son so that God would not kill Moses. Exactly. That's what I said. And so I had no clue what was going on. So I looked this up, and on Bible Hub, it'll give you what are called commentaries, and it'll show you like a million of them. And basically what this is is spiritual and theological leaders saying, here, with my understanding of theology and my understanding of the cultural context, here's what I think this verse means. And it's so helpful. I read multiple of them to kind of get a general idea of what people think. Um, and then I pray about it. And so I, you need to think. We need to use our resources. Um, so that's what I want you to get out of this, is to understand this beautiful piece of art that God gave you. On another level, I want to have us kind of mentally or with your little handout scan through what we looked at. We saw there's repentance. We saw baptism. We saw the Trinity. And we saw temptation. All in just like two, or like really more like one and a half chapters of the Bible. Even before the crucifixion happened, even before Jesus died, we saw the whole gospel. We saw almost pretty much the whole gospel laid out for us, that we are sinful, we are not close to God, we are separated from God because we are evil, we are born evil, and so we need to change ourselves and come into alignment with what God says about us, because without him we are broken and we are lost and we are hopeless, but there is hope. Um, baptism, which was our, our next point, Baptism was used as um, an act of repentance, of changing your mind, and also a promise. So we come into the body of Christ. We, we are part of this big, church, capital C church is what a lot of people call it, like the big church as a whole, the bride of Christ is, is also called. Um, and we are baptized into water to show that we are dying with Jesus, and we are coming back to new life in him. And we are baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire by Jesus to receive the power that he died to give us. We see that God is three in one. He is the son who died. He is the father and he is the spirit all together in one. They agree there together. And we see that in our Christian life, we will be tempted by the devil. We will be presented with opportunities to do things we're not supposed to do, say things we're not supposed to say, think things we're not supposed to think, but that we can combat it with knowing what God says and with knowing scripture. And so I just... Um, if you are in this place, and there has to be at least somebody, if you're in this place and you don't feel like you actually have a personal relationship with God, you don't know him, you don't feel like he knows you, you don't feel like your life is getting changed by him, I would encourage you to think about the state of your life right now. Um, think about the times that we all have. I'm not saying this will stop when you're a Christian. But think about the times when you feel broken and lost and hurt and like you can't do anything right. Um, see the, when, the times when you screw up, when you mess everything up, when you sin, 
But then I want you to look and see God's holiness. God is separate. He is greater. He is good. He, is, he literally is love. And I want you to see his love and understand that if we can lay our lives down, lay down, like give up the things that we want, the things that we want to be, who we feel like we are, lay that down and give it to Jesus. He's going to give you a new life. I, it's, it sounds really cynical, but I've thought about it this way before. If we um, can tend to live, like with our generation can, as one of the highest rates of a like attempted suicide but also suicidal ideation and it's ironic because um, in a way if you want to die as a Christian there is a way to die you don't want to live this life anymore Jesus says you can die I, I, I will I want you to die I want you to die and have a new life he wants you to spiritually lay down the life that you have now let it die and take up the life that he bought for you to have. Um, and if you are, do feel like you have a relationship with God in this place, I basically want to tell you the same thing. Think about the things that God has done for you. Um, think about the world that he made for you, the life that he created for you to live. Um, I, I didn't put this in my notes or anything, but I went to a healing class last night. And I went in there, and I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm just learning how to get how to heal people. Um, and because that's a good thing to do. And I'm there, and I'm praying for people, and it's great. And also, my son is five and a half months old, so he's getting teeth. So he was screaming, and he was upset. So I had to go over in the nursery lobby, and I was frustrated because I didn't want to be missing out, even though I could still kind of hear it through the live stream. I was like, it's not the same. And I felt this rage. I'm not even talking, I felt this rage come up inside of me, and I was scared. Have you, have you guys ever felt an emotion that was, like, so strong that you're, like, scared of it? I know not everyone's emotional. I'm really emotional, and I, I don't always feel feelings like that anymore, especially since I got saved, but I do. I did, I did then, and I realized in that moment that that was um, something that I needed to be free of, something that I needed to repent and to give up and to give over to God, that I did not need to protect myself. I did not worry, need to worry about giving too much of myself away because it's just like what Jesus said when confronted with the devil, is that God provides, God is enough, and God is a comforter. He's going to be there. When you have those scary feelings, when you don't know what's right, when you feel like, I don't even know if God is real anymore, I don't even know if I'm saved, I don't know if Jesus loves me, He's okay with that, and he loves you just the same. Not he doesn't. He loves you anyway. He loves you in spite. He, it doesn't change. It doesn't change if you're questioning whether God's real or not. It doesn't change his love. And I know I'm rambling, and I know this wasn't the most fun message in the world, but I just need you to get that God loves you. He's sent his son. I can't, especially becoming a mom. Everyone says, especially becoming a mom. I can't even believe this anymore. His, his only, like, we're children of God, but this was his son, like, born son. We are adopted in the family of God. This was Jesus' born son. And he sent him off to die a painful, suffering death because he loved you personally. He loved you enough that he said it's worth it because I want you to be part of my family.
And I don't want us to take that lightly. And I don't want us to take his love lightly. And so if we can understand this better, if we can understand that Jesus is the way into new life, that he has sacrificed everything to make sure that we're in his family and that he loved you enough to make that sacrifice, you personally, as well as all the people around you. You can't forget that either. God loved the person next to you enough to give his son for as well. It changes everything. Understanding the Bible, understanding what God said, the only once you understand it, the only logical conclusion is to change everything in your life. And I hope that resonates with you. Um, I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and I'm going to pray us out. Um, yeah, if you would just stand up, I want to pray. Um, I just want to pray that those of us who do not feel like we're in a relationship with God, that we would be able to, but those of us who you do feel like you have a relationship with God, you're close to him, you hang out, you guys, you know, you, you know him, but that it would become deeper and that it would be more meaningful and that it would cause us to change the way that we live. So let's just, let's just I'm just going to pray it. God, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you that we don't have to do, we don't have to do enough. We don't have to do the right thing. We don't have to, like, you're going to fill in the gaps. You're going to fill in all the gaps. And I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I ask you, just pour out a new anointing, of a, just a new, just pour out your love on us. Let us understand it deeper. Help us to release the hardness that we feel maybe around our hearts or around our minds that we can't quite let you in. We can't, we don't, we don't understand yet how this whole God thing is possible. I don't really understand what it feels like to really be loved. I don't, I ask you just open, open up our eyes. Open up our eyes to how loved we are, to how safe we are with you and the reality of who you are. Father, break hearts to be in repentance. Show us where we need to change. Show us how to do it. Guide us through it. I just ask for those of us who need to to be baptized in the body of Christ to come into the kingdom. If I, I'm serious, if you don't have a relationship with God, I'm begging you. He loves you. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be part of the family. If you don't know how to do that, if you don't know what that means, if you feel like in your heart, like, I need to do this, please talk to somebody. You can talk to me. You can talk to any of the adult leaders. You can talk to your friends that know God. Just please, I'm, I'm begging you. But I ask God that you would also just bring us into your death. Jesus, bring, let us die. Let us lose these horrible, painful, achy, messed up lives and be lifted up into the new life that you bought for us so that we can live the life that you wanted. You wanted us to live life full and joyful and with purpose and meaning and health. You, you paid for us to be free from sin and free from sickness and free from death, and so we accept that. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for your power, and Jesus, I ask you to just baptize us into that Holy Spirit that we can be filled with your power and go out and do your works because you said to go out and to heal the sick and to cast out the demons and to baptize the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we want to do that. Father, when we come into temptation, 
help us to see the way out that you provided for us. Help us to know what you said so well that when, when the lies come up in our brains that we will be able to fight it with the truth. You call the Bible the sword of the spirit. What good is a sword that is dull and rusty and sitting on a shelf? Father, help us to pick up that sword, to dust it off, to put it in that forging fire, to smith it into a sharp, powerful weapon that we can use. We thank you for that weapon. Father, I just ask that the words that were spoken tonight, the, the words that you've put into the Bible, and the worship that we get to experience together to give to you, this is our gift to you. I ask that for us, that you would just make it Make it force us to see you the way that you are, as you are different than we are. You are smarter than us. You are more loving than us. You are stronger than us. You are safer than the people that have hurt us in the past. And I just want to thank you for all you are and all the work you're doing. And I ask that you would just make this message meaningful and and we would let this worship connect us to you and that you would be given all the glory through it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart is an open space
Father, I just ask that you just let it spark within us as we go throughout our week. Let it, let it just come up in our memory and we can just apply it to our lives. And Father, I just ask that it's your glory alone, that it's your glory tonight, that it is all for your glory and all for your good. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that this creates a hunger inside of us to begin to read our Bibles more. It creates a hunger for the love of Jesus, that we'll be willing to do anything to get God's love inside of us. So Jesus, we just praise you and we thank you for that. God, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your peace, God. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Let's give God one more last praise. Awesome. All right, youth family, I've got one last thing. Next week, we're going to be starting a sermon series called Light and Love. Everybody say Light and Love. Light and Love. We're going to be going over the book of 1 John. So that means before next Wednesday, I need everybody to read 1 John chapter 1. What are you guys reading? 1 John chapter 1. All right, have that read by Wednesday.